Amen. You may be seated in the house of God. Woo! Don't ever come here expecting a normal service in Jesus' name. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 12. Go to verse 33. I'm glad that you're here. Let's not turn on these lights for me, please, but keep on these over here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. We're going to talk about good trees producing good fruit. Somebody say amen. Good trees. Somebody say good trees producing good fruit. Amen. How many are a good tree already? How many have good fruit already? Amen. Open up that Bible. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Come on, Andrew, let's get all those lights on the right way, please. Make a tree good and its fruit will be what? Y'all sleeping today? Make a tree what? And its fruit will be what? Amen. Or make a tree what? And its fruit will be. Which one you want to be? You want to be bad or you want to be good? Amen. The choice is yours. It's up to you today what you want to be. God is not going to force you to do one thing. I can't force you to do it. If I can't force you to do it, your neighbor can't force you to do it. So it is your choice today. Do you want to be a good tree and bear good fruit, or do you want to be a bad tree and bear bad fruit? There's no in between with God. God does not give you the option to be kind of a mixed-up tree, partial bad, partial good. Or if you've ever seen a centaur, part man, part beast. No, God wants you all good or just going to hell without him. Because he doesn't want you lukewarm. I know sometimes we say a little bit is better than nothing. That's not with God. A little bit is not better than nothing with God. It's all or nothing with God. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He said make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. Who's making these trees? We are. It's our choice. You make yourself today what you want to be. Now you say, well, by God's grace, I can't change myself. I understand that. But you make the decision to be made good by God's grace. You can make the decision to be made a bad tree and continue on. So the Bible says you get the choice. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Look at your neighbor and say, look at me. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, look at me. Tell your neighbor, look at me. Can you tell what kind of tree I am? Ask them. Y'all shy. Y'all shy. Yeah, husbands and wives, you better ask each other. Can you tell what kind of tree I am? You should be able to ask your coworkers, what kind of tree do you think I am? You should be able to ask your parents, young people, what kind of tree do you think I am? You should be able to ask your pastor. You should be able to ask me what kind of tree I think you are. I'll just pull out your Facebook and start recognizing your fruit. Amen? I'll just call it as I see it. You should be able to tell me what kind of tree I am. You should be able to look at my life and my family, my words, my actions, and know what kind of tree I am. Everybody is going to be judged by the fruit of their tree. And then he rebukes them in verse four, uh, 34. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You ever said something and say, I didn't mean to say that? You lied. Yes, you did. It was in your heart. You thought about it a long time before you said that. That's why I haven't cussed in over 20 years, because it's not in my heart. 
Some of y'all still cussing because it's still in your heart. If God can set me free from a potty mouth, he can set you free from a potty mouth. Now, I know you don't want to hear that. I know you want me to tell you how real I am, and I even cuss sometimes, but the devil's a liar. You came to a church where you look up to a pastor in Jesus' name. It's not by my grace. It's not by my faith. It's not by my ability. It's God's grace, God's faith, God's work. I give him all the credit, but you will look up to speech in this place. I am not a cussing pastor, and I don't know how that ever got to be popular again, but that is stupid in Jesus' name. I am not cussing you out, all right? I will give you the Bible. I will call you a brood of vipers. I will say some names, but I am not going to lower to the level of this ungodly world. Don't you do it either. Amen? Don't you use that language. You don't have to. You don't have to. And let me just tell you something. Most of those words don't make sense anyways. Why are we putting the, why do people put the F word before things? It don't even make any sense there. It's stupidity. It shows you to be a fool. You're basically telling people I'm an unintelligent fool. And it doesn't matter if our president does it or the kid on the playground does it. It's the speech of fools. Don't talk like a fool. You're going to be judged by those words you say. And that shows your heart is wicked. The Bible says if you want your words to change, let the heart change. Verse 35, a good man, somebody say a good man or a good woman, brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in them. As the old saying goes, just boil the teapot a little bit, and whatever comes out has already been in there. If I see you at your temper, and then you do things you normally wouldn't do, it's just because the temper brought it out. And I've had to repent of the things my temper has brought out. And it's evil and it's wicked. And we consider that to be sin. And we don't make excuses for it. But the Bible says you better make a decision today. Are you going to be a good person with good things stored up? Or are you going to be an evil person with evil things stored up? Do you see? There's no way around this. So he calls us trees. And then he calls us basically storage centers. You know, we're like... um, you store, or one of these places. What's, what's some of these places that do storage? Public stores. public stores. Thank you. Your heart is like public storage. What do you have in there? Now, that's why we're not legalistic about whether or not you can watch movies or TVs, uh, TV shows or listen to certain kind of music. I let you as the Christian decide that. But if you're listening to music that has ungodly language in it, what, what do you think is going to happen when you begin to talk? You're going to talk like that. So why listen to that? That's ungodly. So, I mean, I'm not here to say you can't listen to Enrique Iglesias or, you know, some love song. But if the thing is filthy and dirty, that's sin. That's obvious. And then it's going to result in you having sin. That's why it blows my mind when I listen to uh, a lot of this music online. You know, it it comes on the radio when you're, you're, you know, at Culver's, wherever I'm at. And I'm like, I can't even believe parents listen to this with their kids. This is unbelievable. Like Lady Gaga, you know, I know not maybe every one of her songs is perverse. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, speak in generalities here. But, man, a lot of them are. Katy Perry, you know, putting that stuff on in front of your children, even some Beyonce songs. You have to be careful with what you let in. Just ask yourself this question. Do I want my children to live by what this song is saying? That's just all it is. Now, if it's, hey, we're going to go out and have a good time today, that's fine in my world, okay? I'm not here to get into all of that because then I would have to just judge every single song on your playlist every day of my life, and I'm glad you have the Holy Spirit to do that and not me. But how many know what sin is and how it's obvious, okay? Same thing with movies. Some of y'all are all into Game of Thrones. Listen to me. I have no idea how you can watch the unedited versions of that. The world itself has told you how nasty that show is. There is, there is incest. There is topless women. There is sex all over the place. 
Guard your heart and your mind. Now, by God's grace, I have an app called VidAngel that takes all that out. So I'm deciding whether I'm going to start watching it. And if you judge me and don't like me watching an edited version of that, then you don't like the Bible because the Bible's got all kinds of crazy descriptions of stories there. But it doesn't describe Joseph with uh, Potiphar's wife, the shirt coming off and him touching her. You know, thank God he ran away. But, you know, they don't describe adultery like you're reading a romance novel, okay? And they don't describe the sin of the Bible in such a way where it's glorified. Get edited versions of these things. And if you can't do it, dear God, shut it off. It's not worth your consciousness. Being grieved. And if you say, Pastor, but it don't bother me, that's the problem I got because it don't bother you. Because it bothers me. It bothers me. Man, I, you know how embarrassed I would be watching one of those shows with you and a woman gets topless? Would you want your pastor watching a woman get topless and have a sex scene? That makes me embarrassed to be around. Like if I was around the married women here today, watching a show with you and your husband, and the woman's taking off her top, and she gets on top, and the man, all the gross things that happen after that, they, they, they film, you know. Sex isn't gross, but you know how they film it. It makes it gross. I couldn't watch that with you. I couldn't watch that. So just find edited versions of things, and if it's not edited, you can't edit it, it's cut it out. Now you say, well, I'm going to do my own editing. I'm going to be real fast. I'm going to be real. That's between you and God. Listen to me. I'm, I'm, not, here, I'm not here now to argue about that. But here, here's my thing. You know you keep making deposits. What's going to happen? Stuff's going to come out. But I tell you that everyone will give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. You and I will give an account for the words we have spoken, every single one of them. How many know that's why you need to say, forgive me now, Jesus? Come on, people. If you have not asked Jesus for forgiveness for the words you have spoken in your heart, you are going to have those things blasted for all of heaven to hear. And so it's not cute. It's not funny. I would even say this if I can cross the line a little bit since I'm already there stepping on some toes. I would say even OMG, this church should drop it. Because unless you are glorifying our Lord and Savior, oh, my God, it's not the appropriate response. I even said that to my mom, so don't everybody get offended thinking he's not doing this across the board. I'm just telling you as a mature Christian, seeing OMG does not give me uh, the impression you are glorifying our God. And the Bible says don't say it in vain. So you ask yourself, when you put OMG, are you saying it in vain or are you giving our God praise and glory and honoring his name? I I don't know because, I mean, there's somebody out there that might be able to do that. I can't. I can't say, oh, my God, when I see a picture of your cat. You know what I'm saying? Oh, my God. That, that doesn't sound like I'm giving them praise. You guys listening to me. And so that's why I want you to be careful with your words. Be careful with the language you speak. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what friends you make. I mean, the whole entire passage right here is telling us you're going to be judged one day on these kinds of things. And so your heart needs to dig its roots in the love of God, not the filth of this world. And then what comes out needs to be pure and holy, things you're not ashamed of. Amen? Amen. Let's go on to the next section. I think I've preached enough on that. (laughs) Amen. How many got something out of that? Amen. You still my friend? You still like me? That's okay because I ain't scared of you. Amen. (laughs) I've been doing this for a long time, man. I've been doing this for a long time. And I'm just going to tell you what. Mature Christians live mature lives. You'll figure it out. I'm telling you. We're not trying to hurt you. We're only trying to help you. You'll figure it out if you haven't already. How many know that I love you enough to tell you the truth? Amen. I'm just helping you out. 
There's always going to be another one. Trust me. There'll be another show. There'll be another Beyonce. You'll, you'll be here 30 years from now going, yep, yep, I used to fall for it, but now I'm smarter than that. I got my kids on point. And you're going to realize every generation has its own stumbles and idols and things like that. And it's the old timers that were trying to teach us things. It was the David Wilkerson's, the Leonard Ravenhills, the A.W. Tozer's, all of these men from the generations past that I consider to be my hero, Steve Hill. They were trying to teach us that it was going to come in subtle through entertainment, and we got to guard our hearts against that. Amen? Okay, so then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Why do you think they're asking for a sign? Because now they want to see, are you really who you say you are? Because you are stepping all over our toes. You're getting all up in our business. If you've been following with us in the series, he's been rebuking them for their words, for their hypocrisy. If you uh, put the other gospels together and kind of do what we go, we call a chronological order, I mean, they're wanting to stone adultery, uh, adulterous women. They're wanting to, uh, you know, persecute Jesus, push him off a cliff. There's all types of stuff going on during this time period that we're reading through in the book of Matthew that you find in other Gospels. And all they can say is basically, we don't believe you. We don't believe you. No, no, no. We're not listening. So prove it. Prove it. And literally, if you go back just, because, just before to all the chapters, he's already proved it. He's like raising people from the dead. He's healing sick people that he's not even touching. He's just saying the word. People are touching him. They're getting healed without him even knowing about it until the, you know, the virtue leaves. And so there has been enough signs for them to know. But what's going on here? They want something on the level of like Moses parting the Red Sea. Because they're thinking, like, you know, if Moses was not the Messiah, and the Messiah is greater than Moses, then you should have a greater sign than Moses. Does everybody get their thinking? So as much as we kind of look at them as the Oompa Loompa of the story, it kind of would make sense. Like, there's going to be a greater sign, right? I mean... Moses is not the Messiah, and he did all these great signs. you got to take it to another level. Now watch how Jesus corrects them. They say, teacher, we want a sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. So you guys are just wicked. That's why you don't understand who I am up until this point. He says, you're wicked and adulterous. Why does he describe them with that word adulterous? In other words, he, in, in other places, he uses the word perverted. Does he literally mean that they're all cheating on their spouses? No, they're cheating on God. You got to get that revelation from Jesus. You are considered an adulterer towards him when you don't go all in. When you're going part in the world, part to Jesus, what is that like? That's like an adulterer because it's just not fornication. Fornication is divorcing your spouse and moving on. And I always say this to pastors, and I always say it to spouses. If you want to cheat, would you just leave now and tell us all and do it? If that's how you want to be, will you stop being secret? Will you stop breaking your wife's heart or your husband's heart? Will you stop running around? And if you're in the church and you're in the ministry and you're a leader and you want to be a wicked, adulterous person, would you just announce it to everybody and go, and go to uh, um, uh, the export and go find that person? Because if you're not willing to repent, your secretness is not helping. It's cowardness. I just want to say that because how many of you have been hurt by people cheating on you? And in honesty, you would just have rather them come out and just tell you, hey, 
it's over. I'm going over here now. Instead of dragging it on for weeks and months and, you know, is this going on and this going on? They used to have a show called Cheaters. Anybody ever watch that? You know, going to find out and do all this. Man, just tell us. That's what I've told my wife. If you don't want any more, you don't want me anymore, just tell me and leave. Don't, don't break our hearts. And every church and every ministry should have people that just have enough integrity. But, you know, once again, if you're already committed adultery, you don't have integrity. Now, what's the best thing is to repent and stop doing it if you are. But if you are hell-bent on being a sinner, can you just announce that to everybody right now? I'm just going to go do this. And some of you all look at me crazy, but isn't that just what he said? If you want the tree to be evil, then just go be evil then. Isn't that what he said, yes or no? He did say that. He said, if you're going to be an evil tree, then make it evil then. He's not saying you're not going to get judged because of it. He's just saying, let everybody know the kind of tree you are. Because what was the problem with the Pharisees? Is they put on the religious mask, but they were really a wicked tree. He called them a whole bunch of other names to describe it too. Whitewashed tombs. You know, like imagine you're walking around Israel like my friend is right now. He did a about three-week trip there. And you're walking around and you see a thing that looks cool on the outside. You're like, what is this? And they go, oh, it's a tomb. You're like, well, it doesn't look like that on the outside. It's all these pictures and all the things. Do you want to go in there? Probably not. But let's say you do, and you see all these bones in there. You know, it looks like something out of Indiana Jones. That's what Jesus was basically saying. On the outside, you guys look great. You have murals. You have pictures. You have all these things. But on the inside, you're dirty and you're filthy. Same thing like with a cup. You ever had a cup that, you know, like a coffee cup or something you couldn't see through, and you already put the thing in there, and you started drinking, and you looked down, and you saw some stuff around the inside of that that, that was nasty? See, I got kids that I'm teaching how to do dishes because kids should learn how to do dishes, but they don't always do them right. And you find out too late, man, that is nasty. That's exactly what, or you're eating cereal. That's my worst, man. It's when you've been eating cereal and then you see the old cereal stuck there. And I'm like, man, I've been eating my cereal in the bowl of nasty cereal this whole time. That, that, like, that, I just see in my mind like this frosted flake like attached, like glued to the bottom of my, my bowl. And it's like clink, clink, clink. And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> this is nasty. And it's like you don't even know what to do because you've already been eating the whole thing. So you just finish it and you're like, okay, I've, if it's going to kill me, it's going to kill me. I'll meet Jesus, right? But that's what he said. He said, you're like a cup where you clean the outside, but the inside is dirty. And he's saying, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. Well, let's fast forward now to the 21st century. Isn't that now what everybody's asking us? Well, prove it, prove it, prove it, prove it. And then you know what I like to do now to be sassy? I'll prove God exists once you prove to me you exist. Because if you're going to turn up your skeptometer like really, really, really high all the way to 10 to talk about God existing and, and all of these things, I'm going to turn it up all the way to 10 to see if you even exist. Prove you exist. Prove you're not a brain in a vat right now. Prove that you weren't body snatched by aliens last night and that really there's an alien living in on the inside of me, inside of you rather. Uh, prove to me that, you know, uh, you're not in the matrix right now. So I'm going to crank that thing all the way up to 10 and see if you can prove even you exist. Right? You get what I'm saying? Because people don't even use the same faith when we talk about God that they do to sit on a chair, cross a bridge, to go get their paycheck. Like, you know what I'm saying? You can't prove your boss is going to pay you this week, but you trust them. You can't prove that bridge was built right, but you trust it. I mean, come on, people. So the Bible is saying they were wicked because they missed everything that was already done, and now they're asking for the sign. Like, give us that one last one that just, you know, parts the Red Sea. We all go, oh, 
And by the way, did the Israelites believe God after that? No, they wrestled with God and fought with God and were ornery with God all the time after that. So he says, you are a wicked and a cheating generation asking for a sign. But none will be given this generation except the sign of the prophet who? Jonah. So you are going to get a sign, and it's going to be greater than Moses too. But this is going to be the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection. That's going to be the sign of Jonah. Look at it, verse 40. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Isn't that amazing? Jesus prophesies his death, burial, and resurrection. And if you see, I have highlighted there the three days and three nights because sometimes people honestly, you know, want to know how the Bible lines up. And it's like, well, if Jesus died on a Friday and then he rose on a Sunday, you know, that's, that's not three nights. That's Friday night, Saturday night. Where's the third one? Has anybody ever asked that question before? How many of y'all read your Bible? How many have done that before? How many have ever gotten to the point of three days, three nights, be honest? Okay, what did you do in your mind then if you didn't ask yourself? Just didn't think about it. It's okay. I don't think about everything I read. Sometimes it just goes right by me. But it's good for those of you who caught it because it's a logical question. If he died Friday night, Friday afternoon rather, and then he's in the grave Friday night, and then he's there Saturday night, what day does he rise? Sunday. How many nights did he get? Two. Okay. So we're missing a night there at least. And then... If he rises at the beginning of Sunday, does he count that as a day? So then you get Friday as a day, Saturday as a day, Sunday. So we probably get three days there, but we're only getting two nights. I have a link you can click on. It was simply an idiom, a term, an expression. If you had a partial day or a partial night, you could still include it as a full, as a whole. So they're including either Sunday as the night or they're including Friday as the day before, the Thursday as a night, because their days and nights ended when the sun went down. So depending on how they were just kind of kicking in an extra day is natural to them. And you say, Pastor, it sounds like you're just making that up. Well, when you look at that link, you'll see when Queen Esther was fasting and praying, she said, let nobody eat anything for three days or three nights. And then it says the third day in the morning, she goes and meets with the king after the fast is over. So obviously they didn't fast three days and three nights because she's showing up on the third day, very similar to the resurrection. You'll see patterns of numbers in the Bible, by the way. And so on the third day, the third morning, she does all the things. So they skip that night as well. It was an expression. Now, here's where you would have to Go beyond this. If you go, oh, I don't accept that answer. You would have to literally say every one of the four Gospels, they are idiots. Like, like they're literally putting something in there to prove the Son of God died and rose again. I mean, the greatest message, and they don't know how to count days. All of them. None of them, right? So you either just look with your 21st century mind and go, the Bible is full of errors to the point where these guys don't even know a day and a night and they're dumb. Or you look back on them and go, they're probably not dumb, and they're just counting days and nights a little bit different than I do now in the 21st century. For the first part, they count them when the sun goes up and down, not in a place we call 12 a.m. Does everybody get that? So how many think Matthew was dumb? How many think Matthew just knew something about their culture that we didn't? Three days and three nights meant partial and a full, and you can learn more about that. Now, somebody might say, well, there's a third option. Well, why not just say Jesus was uh, crucified on the Thursday, and then you go on from there instead of Good Friday, Good Thursday. And there are some people try to do that, but it then totally throws off the calendar of the events. It's, it's, you, can't, you can't give them a Thursday or a Wednesday, as some have tried. It has to be the Friday, and it has to be the Sunday. There's no way around that. Uh, the Bible's very clear when you look at the different uh, things that they, they talk about in that article. And so, simply, we just 
just look at it as them describing what they're going to do and how they're going to do it when it was their time frame, their days. Can I hear an amen to that? So he's going to do it three days and three nights. Technically, to the way we would count time, it would be three days and two nights. Now look at verse 41. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. How many remember in the previous part of chapter 12, we learned that something greater than the temple is here. Now isn't that blasphemy if you're not God to say you're greater than the temple? And then now, wouldn't that be considered rude to say you're greater than a prophet like Jonah? But he doesn't stop there. He actually says he's smarter than the smartest man that's ever lived. Let's watch. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. It says, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. Hallelujah. So is Jesus the guy at the party who thinks he knows karate that we all laugh at when we ask him to show us his moves? Is he that weird guy? Have you ever met the karate guy? I know karate, dude. I know I know how to do this. And then at the party, you're like, you're like, you know he doesn't. But you're like, man, show it to Bob. Show Bob how you do that. And then he's like trying to do something, you know. Why are you all looking at me you don't know? Am I the only dude that's hung out with people that think they know stuff and they don't? There's always that guy who thinks he knows karate. I wish I could name names right now, people I've known in this church that I've actually done that with. Do you know who I'm talking about? If I said like the first initial or something. Yes, we do that. Yes, you guys know too. So we know that dude. We, he doesn't go to this church anymore. God bless him. The Lord sent him on. That's okay. He's still loving Jesus though. But uh, yeah, there's always that dude who knows karate, you know, or the car guy or, the, or the, maybe the fake makeup girl. She says she knows how to do makeup, but she's drawn a third eye or something, you know. She looks weird. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, people who say one thing and do another. That's the whole point. Hi- hypocrisy here. But listen, is Jesus that guy? Is Jesus the guy you go, did you just hear what he said? He said he's smarter than Solomon. This guy's a fool. I mean, is that Jesus or is Jesus telling us the truth? In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Logos, the logic, is in the mind of Jesus. We get minds because he gave us a mind. We can intelligently understand the world because he is our intelligence and he has made the world. Even the image of God is seen in sinners who have not repented yet, but they are living like human beings with intelligence. Even everything Bill Gates has done or any great invention has come from the mind of God. They are just borrowing from it. Can I hear an amen? So here, let's put it together now. They're asking for a great, huge sign to go, you're the one. And he's like, I'm not giving you that, except I'm going to die, be buried, and raised again. But guess what? You won't even believe that because you're the one putting me there. Okay? But here's the deal. When we're judging you, my father and I, when judgment day comes, I'm not going to be alone. 
I'm going to have the generation of Nineveh there, those wicked Assyrians. They're going to condemn you because they repented just over Jonah, telling them to repent. And you've seen all these miracles. You're going to have seen the crucifixion and resurrection, and you still won't repent because of your hard heart, and you will be condemned by them. And not only that, I'm going to bring a new being queen. Hallelujah. This woman came from Ethiopia, African. Amen. Aren't you glad to see people of color in the Bible? Can I hear an amen? I got to do that every now and then because people think we whitewash the Bible. I don't whitewash the Bible. Amen. I believe that there are people of color all throughout the Bible. Okay? And so here is a beautiful queen from Ethiopia. She will stand up. Come on, somebody. I don't know if she's going to be like this. But she's going to stand up and she's going to say, let me tell you something. I listened to Solomon and you didn't listen to Jesus. Y'all go to hell right now. Like, you know, maybe some Medea going on, you know. Hallelujah. All right. So that's going to happen. Trying to have some fun, but it's true. On judgment day, people, we don't get this. Only God can judge me. No, not according to him. Other people are going to be judging too. The Bible literally says, come on, look at it. It says Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. So that means when Jesus goes, Pharisee, you know, at the judgment day, Jesus goes, Pharisees, go to hell. Nineveh is going to stand right up and go, yep, y'all need to go there. I'm telling you the truth. That's what the Bible says. It says the queen of the south will rise up. So just imagine the biggest amphitheater or however it's going to look when we're all being judged. The Bible says when it comes down to that as well, the queen of Ethiopia, she's going to stand up and be like, that's right. You guys deserve this. You had your chance. It was your own heart. It was your own wickedness. You made your tree evil. God loves you. God gave you signs. You see, no one, like we talked about earlier today, no one goes to hell because of God's choice. There's, I mean, where, where does it say here that God is just doing this flippantly, just sending people to hell? No, he's telling them, this is because you don't want to be a good tree. This is because you don't want to be a good public storage. You don't want your heart right. How many here want your heart right? How many want to listen to Jesus? How many don't want some Ethiopian prince, uh, some Ethiopian queen sending you to hell? Amen? Saying, yeah, you tell him, Jesus. I don't want that. Let's go to our last passage then. Or second to last passage, verse 43. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Somebody say, worse than the first. Worse than the first. Now listen to me. You need to make sure, ladies, that is not the name of your next boyfriend. Worse than the first. Okay, listen to me, ladies. Stop dating that person that's worse from the first. You need to get better, amen? Lose the zero and get with the hero. I just had to stop in there because I just feel a lot of people struggling in relationships. You don't want somebody worse than the first. Just be single until you're ready to mingle in God's kingdom, amen? So it says, man, it's, it's worse than it was at first. This is how it will be with this wicked generation. And 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 says that when a person returns back to their sin, it's like a dog going back to their vomit and a pig going back to the mud. Why does he say that? Because literally we are in a spiritual battle. Who do you think is blinding the minds of these Pharisees? It's their choice, but who do you think is then reiterating that choice, making it now solidified, making it harder for them? The devil. 
And so we shouldn't give a place to the devil because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And his demons want to obstruct our walk with God. That's why when some of you guys got saved, it wasn't just yellow brick road all the way to discipleship. There was a lot of resistance from your friends and family and people around you. It was because the devil was revealing his power through all those broken relationships or through all those people you thought you loved or they loved you. And maybe they did, but they didn't even know they were being used by the devil. And the Bible says this about a backslider. How do I believe in backsliding? That you can walk with God, turn your back, and go back to hell like Judas did? Because the Bible teaches it. You can have your whole house swept clean, be delivered from all evil, as the Bible says. And then, if you do not stand in your salvation, as we've learned in spiritual warfare lessons here, the devil will come back, and he won't just come back the way he did last time. He'll bring more demons with him. And the Bible says the final condition of that person is worse than the first. How many backsliders here realize it was worse than the first time you got saved? I'm looking at some of you right now. You know what I'm talking about. You could have served God when you were 8 years old, 10 years old, 13 years old. Some of you in high school were going to youth group. But no, you thought you knew better. You went back out into the world. And how many spirits came on you? How did it go for you over those next years? I am telling you. That's why I talk to teenagers here. Man, if you think you're going to play it on the edge like how I did and got saved at 18 after backsliding as a teenager from like, you know, 15 years old, listen to me. You're not promised. You're coming back. Do you understand? It can get that bad. I came close to dying two different times. And all, and I mean this all, capital A-L-L. A-L-L, yes, all. Somebody say all. All of my torment. I forgot how to spell for a minute. All of my torment comes from those three years of my past. I never faced anxiety until I started doing those drugs, and anxiety then became a temptation of my life that still to this day I will feel and have to resist, but anxiety was never triggered until I did the drugs I did. Are you listening to me? I never had broken sexuality until I did that, and still to this day I have to fight the broken sexual mind thoughts that I have from that time period. Because up until that point I was a, you know, pretty much a, a teenager that didn't think about... Um, Things that I'm not going to say because there's teenagers here and children, even though I know you guys have known these words, but just gross things that people do, okay? But then in my, in, in my, uh, my, my sinful life, I got, it, I got um, shown those things because of pornography. And now as a Christian, I have to fight those images. How many of you have images from when you were a child in kindergarten? How many of you have images from when you were in middle school, all right? So I have images now because of those things. And then the things that I regret the most personally is in that time of backsliding, the way I robbed and I stole and the things that I did. If I could meet those people, I would do anything to receive their forgiveness personally from them because I am, I am ashamed, ashamed of what I did. And that guilt can be with me even now to make me feel like, man, I'm a horrible person but I have to hide behind the cross. Are you listening to me? I'm trying to warn you as a backslider. If you are thinking to yourself, well, you know, other people have cheated on their spouses, got divorced and remarried. That worked out fine. You have not counseled those people. You have not talked to them about the depression they went through. You have not been with them when they're trying to restore relationships with their children. I am telling you, don't do it. Repent now. Seek help now. Don't be that evil tree. Amen? All right. The Bible says that's how the wicked generation is going to be. Rachel, would you come please in closing? Last passage of chapter 12. I hope that you guys are encouraged today by these 
a somewhat unrelated lesson. Sometimes chapters don't always tie together their lessons, but I think some we can find a thread through here through the tree analogy. How many are seeing somewhat of a thread here? If you're a good tree, uh, you're going to follow Jesus. You're not going to need extra signs. The cross is enough. If, if you're a good tree, uh, you're not going to be demon-possessed. You're going to live for Jesus, and you're not going to turn your back on him to be even, even worse off. And then lastly, if you're a good tree, you're going to be a mother and brother to Jesus. Look at this, verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak with him. How many have had, as adults... Uh, issues with your parents or your siblings since you've been an adult? How many? Don't let me be the only one raising my hand here. <laughs> there's a reason. There's a reason my in-laws are not here today. There, there's a reason my brother and sister are not here today. I'll tell on myself. Amen. Amen. They still love me. We just felt, for my in-laws who are still in the city, we just felt, it's better you go to another church. It's hard to pastor in-laws. Okay, let me just keep it real. It's hard to pastor in-laws. I love them so much. My children have the best Greek, yaya and papu, grandma and grandpa ever. I like it like that. Amen? But can I be real with you? As an adult, I've had strained relationships with mothers and brothers and in-laws and cousins and uncles and all of that. Guess what? So did Jesus. We don't know the motive behind this. But everybody get this, especially if you were raised in a Catholic background. Mary, in the Catholic background, would be able to demand Jesus to do something because they say at the wedding, she, got, she gave him the order. Do something, Jesus, and then he makes the wine, etc. So they get this image like Mary's kind of the one in charge of, of grown-up Jesus. That's not at all the impression that the Bible gives. That's what the Roman Catholic Church teaches. Now, let me say this. I think in many ways, we as Protestants, those who protest the Roman Catholic Church, we don't honor enough people in the Bible, Mary included. We just don't understand how to honor people of the past because we think now we have to pray and worship to them, or worship them. No, we don't want to do that, but we should be able to speak well of them, look at their example, and really admire them for what they did. So sometimes I think we take it too flippantly. But here we see that for whatever reason, she's being made to look by Matthew kind of like demanding Jesus to come out and talk to her. Okay? She's not look good, looking good here. His mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. That's how I interpret that. Because why not just go inside and chill and hang out with Jesus? Why do you have to stand outside as it's telling us and say, we want to talk to you? It's like I'm doing this, this motion here, but that's kind of the way it sounds, isn't it? Standing outside. We want to talk to you. What, what is this going on out here? And I've had that as an adult with my parents. I've had that as an adult with in-laws. I've had that as an adult with other family members. And, and just want to let you know, Jesus can relate. When you are an adult, you are to honor your parents. You are to honor your family. But that doesn't mean you have to follow their rules anymore. If you live in their house and you're a 25-year-old adult doing that, uh, choke on adult there, yes, you better be following your parents' rules, okay? But as adults who are independent, you don't have to follow their rules, for better or for worse. Even if they're right, you know, They'll prove them, you know, their advice will be proven right over time, but you don't have to because you are now old enough to make your own decision. We don't dishonor them, we honor them. Does everybody hear that? But here Jesus 
was beckoned by his mom and by the brothers. Hey, man, we want to talk to you. And I just think because it was a little bit messy, God forgive me if I am wrong, and I really mean that, we don't know the details because we would know a mess. And so here's something we need to remember. Keep your family mess to yourself. Don't share your family mess with your friends and all these other people. If you need advice, I know you can go to the church or go to a good friend, but you just be careful because that can always come against you. That can always come against you. Seek advice, but don't spread the mess. How many know the difference between seeking advice and spreading a mess? Well, my mom does this, and I hate it when my uncle does it. And I hate You're spreading mess on your family, and it's not going to work out, I promise you, because at some point, that friend and that uncle are going to be at the same party together. <laughs> you just don't want to do it. Keep family business in the family as much as you can. I'm never talking abuse. I'm never talking sin. Does everybody get what I'm saying? A lot of qualifications right now now. I think purposely we don't know the mess. But there is somewhat of a mess here and says, hey, somebody goes, hey, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And then Jesus replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Oh, every Catholic just got mad right there, right? Don't you dare say Jesus has many mothers. He only has one mother. No, not according to Jesus. He has many mothers. Oh, the saints, the saints, the saints. Oh, yeah, he's got saints all over the place, and I'm one of them. Amen. Like his brothers. He says now in verse 50, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What a great privilege to be added into the family of God. So let me give some encouragement just to the practical there. If your family's not serving God today, welcome to a new family. Welcome to a new family. You need mother, a mother? There's a mother here sitting next to you. You need, a, you need like a father figure, you know, someone sitting here next to you to be able to do that. You need a brother, you need a sister, an uncle, an aunt. We're here. We're here to do that. At the same time, I want you to see how now we relate to Jesus. Jesus doesn't just want to be a slave master. He doesn't just want to be a distant God in the far out places of heaven. He wants to literally be like family with us. And what he's showing us here is that he doesn't play favorites. Everybody can come sit at Jesus' table and participate in the family meal. The only thing is, is you have to want to do the will of the Father. He's our Father. And so today I want to invite you in this church to make your tree good, to bear good fruit, and to become a brother or sister to Jesus and to see what he'll do through his will in your life. Amen. Can we just pray now before we close? Father, I thank you for this time. Band and altar workers, would you come please? Look at the fruit of your tree right now. Would you be honest? What kind of fruit are you you bearing? It's going to tell you what kind of tree you are. If you say something like, well, pastor, I know I'm a Christian, but I still make mistakes. Okay, well, then get that junk out right now, even as a Christian. Repent of it. In just a few moments, we'll close out in prayer. These altar workers will be here for anyone that wants to do that. But right now, would you pray on your own? And if you're here today and you would say, pastor, man, I have never, never given my heart to Jesus in the way we've learned today. Make it your desire now to do that. 
Confess him, pray like the way Griselda taught to pray. You know, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me of my sins. You can apply it to this message, make my, my life a good life, make my, my words good, make my heart good. And now I want to move on to this last part. While some of us are still praying over the tree thing, I want to pray about the brother and sister thing. How many of you, just right now, you want to pray and ask God to save those lost friends and family members? Would you do that right now? Lord, save my uncles. Save my brother and sister. If you're in a a relationship that's strained, ask God to restore it. You know, there was a time where my in-laws and I, we didn't get along, had to take a few months off. Sometimes you got to take a break. A gift of goodbye can do wonders in your life. God, we pray for strained relationships to be restored. We pray for us here at the Christian to be the bigger person, to be the forgiving, not the bitter. Be the forgiving. few moments, few moments. And then lastly, if you're still tracking with me in our time of prayer, How many of you here want to sit at the table with Jesus? How many here want to be family with Jesus? Would you right now just let the Lord know that you want to do his will? You want to live for him. You want to surrender your life to him. And let me just say this because I forgot. If you're here today and you feel spirits are messing with you, That's a real thing. Jesus was not talking make-believe. If you really feel like nightmares or thoughts of suicide or or just depression just that won't go away and even going to the doctor doesn't relieve it, you just know that there's something against you. Man, we'll definitely want to pray for that. And even right now, surrender that to God and say, God, I ask you to clean my house, wash away my sin if I've done anything wrong or or set me free from any open doors that I might have had open. A few moments, pray through those things. Pray about your tree, the fruit. Pray today about whether or not you need your house clean, set free from stuff. Pray about God being your your family, Jesus being your brother, your sister. Come on. We're not in a hurry. A few moments can change your life. And then we'll close out. And those who want to come forward can receive prayer. We'll worship. We'll start our second service. But just a few moments right now can change your life. Do it, God. few moments, Lord. I want to bear good fruit. I want to bear good fruit for you, God. Who's got some big dreams here? I feel that's in my heart before we roll out. Who's got big dreams or some big fruit to come a harvest? Oh, Lord, do it in businesses. Do it in, um, in young people's lives as they begin to have this summer off. Let them do great things this summer. Do it in marriages, God. Bear some awesome fruit this summer in marriages, oh, God. Your ways, God, your ways are so much better than our ways. Stay focused in prayer. 30 more seconds, saints. A lot of messages today. I hear in my heart about entertainment. Did that touch you? Did that get to you? Come on. Don't hold it against me. You know it's right. You know it's right. Come on. Ask God to forgive you if you've been letting junk into your storage unit, to your heart. I know sometimes you're like, well, man, there's not another artist like that artist, or there's not another movie series or TV series, whatever. I'm telling you, you'll forget about it in a couple weeks. 
God will fill your life up so much, you won't miss it. I promise you. I used to have all my favorite rock stars, my favorite this. You give it up for a little bit, you won't even think about it anymore. Few moments, few moments. Jesus, change our lives. Few moments, God, change our lives. These last moments we have, may we never be the same again. Amen. As you stand to your feet, I'm going to ask that one of our uh, sisters would close us out in prayer. Rosa, would you close us out in prayer, please? Right up here. And as she closes us out in prayer, these prayer workers, if you're new to our church, are here for you for anything going on in your life. We'll also be doing worship, and second service will be coming in. So I appreciate that. Let's have Rosa pray. Thank you. Okay, Father God, thank you very much, Father God, for this morning. Thank you for your word, Father God. I pray, Father God, that you remind us, Father God, during the week, Father God, every word, Father God, that you spoke during this morning, Father God, to our hearts, Father God. Father God, I pray, Father God, that we can be doers, Father God, of your word, Father God, not just listeners, Father God. I pray, Father God, that you, Father God, put that thirsty and hungriness, Father God, in our hearts, Father God, for every day, Father God, to be in your presence, to hear from you, Father God, from your word, Father God. I pray, Father God, that we can be leaders, Father God, by your Holy Spirit, Father God, not by emotions, Father God, but leader by your Holy Spirit, Father God. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Father God, take everybody um, with uh, peace, Father God, that you brought them here, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Come on, amen, amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. God bless you, first service.